Michael Easley in context. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Well, welcome to the program today on In Context. We are delighted to have Dale Partridge. Dale, before we get into Sevenly, uh, let's talk about how you came to faith. Tell us about your journey. I grew up, I guess, in a quasi-Christian home where we would go to church, you know, a few times a year. Um, you know, if someone asked me if who was God, I'd probably say Jesus at the age of 10 or something, but I, I was really not ever connected. Um, you know, probably went to church maybe 40 times from birth to 20 years old, you know. Um, at the time, I, I just had no, uh, you know, my family wasn't really living that life. And at the age of 20 years old, I was on my way to a uh, conference where I was attending on uh, kinesiology. I was owning yeah. a company as my first business um, as a personal trainer at a, a fitness company with about six employees. And uh, I was driving and I couldn't sleep. And for some reason that night, I couldn't sleep. And I, uh, I tried everything to get to bed, and, and I woke up the next morning after maybe 10 to 15 minutes of napping and kind of panicky, like, wonder why I couldn't sleep. This is weird. Hmm. I went to the conference the next day, really dreading every moment of it, came back at 5 o'clock and expecting that I would just pass out for a nap and, and couldn't sleep. And um, I moved forward that night to the point where I was getting pretty delirious. I'd been up for, you know, going on 48 hours. And I got to the point where I started kind of breaking down mentally. And I asked a friend of mine if he'd come pick me up and take me home. That night, I remember going outside, just scared out of my mind, thinking, what does this mean? Why can't I sleep? And I said, God, if you just give me some sleep tonight. I, I told him that I'd promise I'd go to church for a whole month. So I said, <laughs> And uh, I went back. I got my friend to pick me up. He drove me home, you know, pretty much emotionally breaking down at this point. I fell asleep for 15 hours. I uh, woke up the next day. I drove back to the conference, which is two hours away. And on the 210 freeway, going through Pasadena in California, both of my front tires exploded on the freeway. Oh, my. And it was at the time that I was praying, and it was at a time that I was listening to one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite artists who I did not recognize as a Christian, and passing by two churches in the middle of two churches, and I was like, man, this is crazy. Like, what the heck is going on? And I really felt like kind of this resistance of Satan possibly you know, not wanting me to go down this road, right? From that point on, I, I was still living in probably some pretty old ways. I was in a Bible study that was also inside of a, the house of a guy who was selling just loads of marijuana. Um, and we had a Bible study inside of his house at this time. You know, people were smoking pot and drinking beer and getting drunk, and we're sitting in the middle of this house having a Bible study. Mm. And that was probably the first three months of my experience of Christ and slowly started attending a church and just never stopped going until the point where, um, you know, I, I, I think I really became connected with Christ and understood uh, really, I think, what you know, Scripture says He is rather than what the church says He is. Mm-hmm. And um, that's been a, a really incredible journey. So that's that's kind of where it's ended out, um, you know, in a long story short, but it was a definite transition. I mean, I was the worst of these kind of... So Del, how old were you during this time? I was 20 years old. 20 years um, old. I think it was probably about two weeks away from turning 21. And so it took you, let's say, what, how many years before you feel like you were settled in, in knowing Christ and Christ alone? Probably about a year uh-huh. uh, of really just 
uh, doing some reading, and I think that was, you know, as I look back through Scripture and understanding what it means to be a babe in Christ, I mean, I, I felt like, man, you know, looking back, you know, God really shows us that looking at our past is how we really go forward in faith. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been a insane journey of how I've understood and learned who He is and what His kind of grand narrative is for Christianity and for His followers of the world. But yeah, it was I was very immature at the time, but have spent many years now, um, you know, attempting to dive deep with Him. When we look at what you've accomplished with what six companies now you've built, um, yeah. and uh, in your still very young, <laughs> you're still doing an incredible amount of work for, uh, you know, such a young leader in a sense. Uh, so when you look back on your faith journey uh, from, you know, lemonade stand kinds of things that kids do, what was the driver in Dale Partridge that was, you know, hey, I can try something different. I can do something. I see something different as a way to make this work. By the time I was 18, I, I thought for sure I wasn't going to be an entrepreneur. I, I thought for sure I was going to be a professional baseball player. Okay. Which was very interesting. But my dad as a child was grooming me as an entrepreneur without me even knowing it. You know, he was, he was, you know, allowing me and teaching me how to make money on my own through, you know, getting cans through, uh, selling boxes as moving boxes to selling candy at school. Um, and this, this kind of trend, I think really built a confidence in me as a child that I didn't know about. But by the time, um, I was 18, I was playing, you know, I had professional scouts looking at me and, and I think that really that schedule of, um, of baseball through my whole life really was what taught me how to be a leader. Um, you know, being a pitcher, I was a pitcher, a left-handed pitcher, um, from the age of about seven years old, I was always leading the team, leading the field. Mm. Um, and it gave me this confidence of really how to control a game and how to think for, uh, more people than myself. And it was just a natural, I think a progression that, you know, I had this leadership ability with my ability to make money on my own. And by the time I was I ended up hurting my arm really badly in a game um, between high school and college, and um, really ended my complete, you know, completed my career uh, for baseball, which was a, a hard time for me, yeah. uh, redefining my identity. That really pushed me into how do I fix myself, and I went into health and fitness to really understand the body, understand why I was broken, and. Um, started doing sports training and fitness training. And it was just a natural progression that I think just clicked. And, you know, when I started that first company, I remember people saying, man, like this worked out really well for you. Like, and I thought, man, it just came very natural to me. Hmm. Um, and I thought, wow, maybe, God, maybe this is something that you want me to, to do is to, to run businesses. And, and I've always had, uh, I never had a struggle with, with, um, generosity or uh, even forgiveness, some of the things that I think really hurt companies because it's so relational and it's so money-driven. And um, so these things I think really just helped. And uh, I, I did have a bumpy road and a rough ride. I mean, for the first couple of years of being an entrepreneur, I, I was not wealthy by anybody's... Um, well, well, let me stop you there scale. for just a second. What entrepreneurial has an easy go of it? <laughs> <laughs> Serious. I mean, isn't that sort of a given? If you're going to be a leader and, you know, entrepreneurial and in businesses and ideas, you're going to fail a lot. Yeah. I mean, when I hear stories of, you know, small companies, big companies, you know, nonprofits, churches, pastors, whatever, that journey in the beginning is so rough. Um, It's figuring out, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell talks about his 10,000 hour rule. I mean, I think that's really what it takes is that you have to understand there's steps of starting something and there's steps of influence and there's steps of, um, you know, legal and finance and operations and management. And there's so many books you need to read and, and experience you need to have. And I, I led by the philosophy that entrepreneurs learn by doing, not learning to do. 
And so I really got my hands dirty, got really busy, and started just making things happen. And that's what I think helped me is that I, I didn't go to school uh, for, for business. It was really that I learned how to um, how to start a business by running a business. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I went down that road. It's not for everyone, but I'm glad I went down that road because it, it, uh, it really built a great confidence and put me, I think, in a better position as I kind of enter into, into my 30s here next year. Dale, when you, you see the folks that have come after you for interviews and, and contributions from Entrepreneurial Magazine, Inc. Magazine, Mashable, MSN, Money, Forbes, LA Times, Fox News, NBC, and so forth, uh, when they come after a guy like you, uh, they're looking for a sound bite. They're looking for um, your story, obviously, to be 28, 29, and, and accomplishing all you have. Yet you've got this strange thing. You're, you're generous. You're a follower of Christ. You've got some philosophies that are not typical for large corporation thinking. How do you work with that internally as well as how do you bring those subjects up when you have the opportunity? I have a couple of statements that I live by. Uh, one is people matter and that's a seven leaf tagline but also kind of my overarching banner over my over my personal brand and um, I believe that at the end of the day human beings have intrinsic value and, and obviously we know this as, as believers um, as image bearers but more importantly, it's a great message uh, to hear in a secular world um, is that people matter and to remember that. It's the first tagline that we had for the company was do good. Um, and I remember thinking, that is really easy to do good. And we got in a legal battle over it because uh, a similar company had the same tagline, so we had to kill it. And I thought, man, what a blessing because we came up with people matter. Um, and people matter is tough. Um, it's really hard to believe that, uh, to live it really hard to think that your your waiter or waitress that screwed up your order and the person that doesn't look you in the eye when you're checking out of the store and the person that cuts you off in traffic and you know your mother-in-law that you know drives you nuts um, those kind of people uh, to believe that they matter is difficult um, so that's the first one and and I try to really um, create uh, opportunities to tell that story um, you know in the public eye in a, in a way that's you know gives ears to hear for that and Secondly, is people over profit. Mm. And this has been a huge philosophy that I think is catching on in the secular space. Um, and it's, it's really trying to understand um, how do we value people over profit? Sure, we all need to be profitable, but how do we value people more? And what does that look like? Which companies have done it? Um, and which companies haven't and what's happened to them? And so I've done a, kind of a great uh, study on that as I go through my book and and I think that it's, it's a, a message that people are listening to and hearing now as, as companies are moving towards social good, as capitalism is being restored, um, as um, leaders are trying to do the right thing because there's more eyes and accountability and documentaries mm. on them. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting time, and I, I've been really pleased with the outcome so far of the message. Where did you learn to be generous? That's a good question. I don't think it's, anyone's ever asked me that. Um, I think generosity is something that I've always had this faith that I'll be okay. Mm. And I think that as I've become closer to Christ and understand his message, that um, I've even had more confidence in that belief. When you have that, it alleviates this fear of emptiness or this fear of loss uh, or this fear of giving. And I think that people want to hold on because they fear that they'll lose it. And for some reason, I've just been able to have confidence that, hey, if I give this money away or if I give this time away or if I give this talent away or if I give this relationship away, that I'll get it back. <laughs> and I'll actually get it back in twofold. Mm -hmm. So 
not to say that I'm the king of generosity because I, you know, every day I still struggle with it as every human does. Of like, it's counterintuitive. I mean, it's the most impractical, unmathematically pleasing thing to do. Mm. But it, it's at the end of the day, it's I guess the followers of Christ said that they, you will know them by their love. Mm-hmm. And you can't separate generosity and love. I mean, it's an ask and it's a receive. It's a it's a it's a need. It's an answer. Um, and I think that at the core of generosity, you know, you ultimately will find Christ. But it's a, again, a great vessel in a secular world to use to I would call a stri- you know strategic evangelism. Mm-hmm. And you've got a marriage and a little girl in that equation. How does Veronica handle this uh, great guy who's out in the public doing amazing things, making a fantastic living, helping people? How does she process being married to this this uh, abstract yeah. genius? The, the first couple of years were rough, um, and I think that we've learned to be more communicative, I guess have more communication with each other. She, I would say, for a long time was the person holding the kite, and I was the kite. Mm. Um I'm trying to figure out over this last year and this year coming up uh, how to really integrate us as a unit together. Um, and so, you know, from things like integrating her in conversations and, and uh, you know, bringing her into more decisions and taking more photos of us together on our social media properties. And, mm-hmm. um, so things like that have been, uh, we're, we're working on them right now in a big way. Is, is, she, think, is she as comfortable being out in front as you are? Uh, no, no, mm-hmm. she's, She's um, she's not shy, but she's not nearly as uh, I guess a type or forward as I am. And she, um, I'll tell you what, a dreamer or an entrepreneur uh, with a wife with no children is a very hard world to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, one because you know she was she really had she was living in the shadow of Dale, right? Um, and now with this baby, it's been such a blessing, um, and I think in a very natural way that. Um, she has something that uh, is unique to her, that, that um, being a mom and the connection between her and our baby uh, that, that I don't have. And I mean, I have a connection, but not in the same way that she does. And I think that's been a really beautiful story of, of understanding a mother and their child and, and a father and, and, and child. But I think that I've been able to see her blossom in a very unique way to have this like responsibility Mm-hmm. Um, to look over this child that's been great for our marriage and, and I think has a, allowed her to let me go uh, a little bit more um, and be be comfortable and confident in, in, in what she's doing. Mm-hmm. When uh, Cindy and I have taught on marriage and family for years and we often say when you get married, you learn to die to self and then when you have children, you die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because to take care of those little creatures uh, as demanding as their needs are, it's not oh, by the way, you know, this is all the time and it doesn't yeah. stop until they're able to clothe themselves, bathe themselves, take care of them. And then the routines change for mom and dad. And you keep thinking one day it's going to get a little easier. And I feel like it probably never does because it's like I'm thinking my dad still calls me probably once a week. I mean, it's like, you know, we're thinking, man, you know, it, it never ends. You still have right. this child to worry about. It's such a crazy thing. So, so let me segue that. Um, one of the I'm always looking at dangers and I live in a world not entrepreneurial world so much. I live in a world of a, a ministry realm where you see people for a long period of time. And the idea of social good, social justice, obviously social media, uh, entrepreneurship has become, in a way, a little idle. Yeah. And if I'm not an entrepreneurial, if I'm not as creative as you know a John Acuff or a Dale Partridge or, or whomever we might toss out there, 
uh, then I'm not hip. I'm not on the cutting edge. What do you say to a lot of people, Dale? Not, not, you know, we, we all have dreams, aspirations. They're great things. But not all of us are going to be Del Partridge. Not all of us are going to be a Michael Easley. Um, and yeah. how do you help a person not live in this sort of ethereal, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that risk on 15 different jobs that never amount to a success yeah. or live in this mediocrity? What do you say to them? I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? It's like a bookend. You can't have everything. Yeah. And, you know, within every organization I've been in, uh, especially with the belief that people matter, I've um, I've recognized that, I can't do it alone. Um, you know, and every time I want to or try to, I fail. It's sad to see leaders that don't realize this um, and they don't value their people. There's entrepreneurs, there's leaders, there's, there's supporters. Um, and being a supporter, uh, whether you're an employee or a manager or uh, whatever role you're playing in an organization, it's uh, search for a, search for someone that, that appreciates that position because because um, you can't do it without them. Um, and I think that there's a beautiful, like there's nothing that's been created that's incredible that's been done on on, on your own. I mean, there's no individual success that uh, is notable. It's always groups of people. And um, so I think that when people recognize that they are a part of a machine or they're a part of, a, a, you know, a movement or if they're a part of a, something that's really working together to create something, um, I think that really helps understanding that. Secondly, is that in mean, being an entrepreneur, there's days where I, I say there's just one more pro than there is con for me. You know, <laughs> um, it's just like for me, there's days where I think, God, I just want to get a job. Um, and I probably said that I'm not kidding, like four or five hundred times. It's not like a, it's just a really hard road to walk. Um, and <clears throat> so uh, I urge people to to say, hey, you know. Uh, blend your life. And I feel like there's a very interesting movement occurring where people don't just have a job anymore. Um, they would have a job and then they'd also have an Etsy shop and then they would have a job and they'd also have a ministry. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really helped people figure out and feel out, um, you know, Hey, here's my security and my, my job and kind of my consistency, but I'm going to be a little bit daring and dreamer here and just kind of test the waters on, you know, my woodworking skills and sell something online. Um, so I think that there's, you know, with the internet, it's been a beautiful um, playing ground and testing field for people to to really figure out, is there more uh, that I want to try or am I content with, with uh, just keeping my job and spending a lot of time with my family? So I think it's a better space than it was maybe 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Sevenly, and that's hard to do because it, it's exploded for you. Um, you started Sevenly when? Uh, June 13th, 2011. And you've got close to 70,000 people following you on social media. Uh, the concept with uh, wordplay, obviously, with Seven and Heaven. Uh, tell us yep. how Sevenly works for those who aren't yet familiar with what you're doing. Yeah, every week we partner with a new charity. Um, we sell products in our e-commerce store that's, um, you know, shirts and hats and bags and, you know, things for your kids and prints. And every time somebody buys a product, we give that charity of that week $7. So if we sell 1,000 products in a week, we give that charity $7,000. Um, to date, we've now raised about $3.5 million in $7 donations and supported a little over a million individual people. Wow. I mean, I mean, wow. Did you have any idea when you started you were hoping for what kind of goal? What kind of metric? God, it was just a really crazy 
you know, whirlwind. I mean, the company grew so fast, and we made lots of progress and lots of mistakes and, and learned along the way. But yeah, I never expected it to be so successful. I'd say that it's you know is definitely my most successful venture, and it was um, the best learning experience in my life to learn how to raise capital, to work with investors, to, you know, be in the spotlight, to, to manage, you know, at one point, I think we had like 50 employees. So to, to experience that was, was quite incredible. In October 2013, I stepped down as the CEO role um, because I felt like the company was really moving into a position that was a little bit easier to manage for not a creative entrepreneur um, mm. in someone that's more operating, uh, more operator focused. We've just this year been focused on stabilizing the company and you know preparing it to grow even further, but really building a strong foundation. Not 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 worried so much about growing the company this year as much as we're focused on building a stronger system for the future. And um, and I'm a serial entrepreneur. I mean, definitely. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. So you're 29 now. So how many companies in the next 20 years we got under Dale Partridge a hat coming out? You know, I don't know. I I think that for sure I'm I'm already like um, you know as I've kind of moved out and I'm focusing on on a, being a brand evangelist and, and uh, speaking a lot, writing a lot. Um, I'll probably focus on my platform for a while, uh, but there's, there's uh, many more companies in the social good space uh, that I'd like to start. Um, you know, randomly, I'd like to start a uh, social good restaurant, um, something that I've wanted to do for a long time, and um, I feel like that's, an, that, that's probably possibly in the next journey as Veronica and I head down that, that road, but uh, probably a few years out. So yeah, that's it's exciting. I mean, I'm sure that I'll probably start ten more companies, twenty more companies before um, <laughs> before uh, before I die, if God lets me. So it's my focus is always just to create a giving experience um, and a, an experience that people matter throughout um, throughout every company that I start. Now, you know, we don't know each other, and so this question might be a little um, perceived improperly. But hear me out. You and I both use the pronoun my a lot and you said my platform a lot of times yeah (laughs) so as followers of christ how do we keep that my lowercase uh you know below the line um without it being all about del partridge man that's a tough one so one thing i try to do is i always have a rule that i will never remove follower of christ out of my bio i integrate my core values and beliefs, uh, including Christianity and, and uh, how I view the world, and just about everything that I put out publicly. Mm. When I speak, uh, whether it's at Facebook's headquarters or Adobe's headquarters, I let people know uh, that I'm a believer. And um, for me also, is it is very easy to be consumed with uh, the focus on me. And I think that uh, taking time and surrounding myself with incredible mentors. I've allowed them to tell me when I have a booger on my face and I've given them permission to say, Hey man, I think you're, I think you're losing focus here. And so there's about three or four people in my life that I've, I've given that, that um, permission to, and I think it's been served me very well over the last four years. Mm. So that's been a, a one, I think practical tactic that's really helped me. I've had a few phone calls to people, you know, pretty much embarrassing me, um, <laughs> you know, having an embarrassing <laughs> phone call. Uh, and it's been uh, it's been humiliating and learning, you know, continuing and expecting to still fail in the future, but continuing to make uh, small steps forward. Yeah. I often tell folks I've got six men that are closer than brothers and they know all my secrets. Yeah. And I don't make any moves or adjustments without a lot of time with them, processing with them. And they're, they're the guys that will tell me the truth. They'll tell me when I'm being stupid. They'll give me a spiritual dope slap. 
And they'll also say, hey, Michael, this is something you really do need to you know, start doing or whatever. Dale Partridge, it's been fascinating to have you on in context today. Thanks for your time. We will direct folks uh, on our website to yours as well, to Sevenly. Thanks a lot for your time. Back and forth. I appreciate it. Oh, it's so good. I love the conversation. It was it was really fun, and uh, thanks for having me. At the end of the day, it seems to me a clarifying question is, will God be glorified through what I'm doing? Will he be glorified through my job as a physician, a teacher, a homeschooler, as an attorney, as an entrepreneur, as an artist, whatever trade you might know? You and I can glorify God with the skills, ability, and gifting that he has granted us. The issue, again, is not success. The issue is faithful. And here's the best news. Christ indwelling each of us allows us to be faithful. This is Michael Easley in Conduct.